Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It takes a pandemic. Okay, you fill in the rest. For instance, it takes a pandemic for me to finally clean out my desk. Right, um, it takes a pandemic to start reading that pile of New Yorkers. Uh, it takes a pandemic for me to finally learn to fake. Well, for audiences of live performance, it takes a pandemic to cherish our actors and musicians. With our great jazz venues and theaters closed, live performance has stopped. But actors and musicians continue to create. They have to. It's who they are. For this Hunker Down podcast, I talk with these artists who perform for a living about how social distancing is affecting their work now and when this is all over. About their dedication to the art of live performance. John Miller plays the bass. And, if you were a fan of that amazing, fantastical series about a New York City symphony orchestra, you know John Miller as D.D., the drug-supplying tippinist in Mozart in the Jungle. John's only other acting role was in Cy Coleman's I Love My Wife, and for that, he won a Drama Desk Award. But John Miller is mainly a music coordinator, having put together the pit bands for over 130 Broadway productions. He has worked on Broadway's biggest hits, such as The Producers, Jersey Boys, and Hairspray. And, as a bassist, has played with Madonna, Bob Dylan, Elvis Costello, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, and the New York Philharmonic, just to name a few. I caught up with this Upper West Sider hunkered down in his rural home with his wife Connie Barron on the New York-Massachusetts border. John, thank you so much for uh, for doing this. Why don't we begin with you and your wife Connie Barron, who is an actress uh, right. in in her in her own right. You're now socially hunkered down. We're hunkered down in a town which is the size of Manhattan, uh, 24 square miles, with a population of 104 people. Let's Where are you specifically? Well, we're in the right in the uh, right in the. Uh, Massachusetts, right where Massachusetts and New York intersect, where where the town is on a mountain. One side of the mountain is the state of Massachusetts. The other side of the mountain is the state of New York. Wow. It sounds like it's beautiful. It's pretty nice and pretty quiet, and you'll find uh, 10 times more deer than you will find people. Right. So you're kind of getting into that mud season now. Yes. Yeah. Do, yes. You, get, do you get a lot of insects and ticks and stuff well where we are we're like uh two thousand feet above sea level so we get a considerable amount of snow believe it or not so so when you look out the window i see you've got a, a window over there to your i don't know it's left or right i can't figure that out what do you see yes i see plenty of beautiful uh land trees and woods wow 
Wow. That's all I see. And I look outside my window and I see across the street on West End Avenue and a little sliver of New Jersey through the through the buildings. Yeah. Had, had you I've ever... been on West End. I've had my apartment on West End Avenue since the day I graduated University of Michigan in 1968. Same apartment. Right. Where is it? About? Between, uh, around 99th Street. Oh, on West End. Correct. We're on, we're on 92nd. Well... On the, the the Windermere I, Hotel, I'm sure you passed yeah, by it many times. No, I I I jog by it all the time. There you there you go. It's a it's a small small world. So do do you get out? Do you go for walks? I mean, I imagine there's Every day. nothing nothing to be afraid of out there. Nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. Except uh, uh, except uh, a couple of weeks ago, we saw an animal that we did not know what it was and checked into it, and it's called a. Connie, are you here? What's the name of the animal we saw? A fisher cat. I never heard of it. Neither had we. <laughs> uh, so it's the size of a cat or is it like a cougar? It's more like a cougar than a cat. Sounds scary. And uh, it was scary for us. Yeah. Uh, but no, there are black bear here, uh, foxes. But uh, we can walk for long periods of time, and uh, n- no bears or n- no bears and no fisher cat yet have bothered us. Right. Do you still see yourself as a city boy, or now are you a country boy? You know, I- I'm born and I-, I was born and raised in the Upper West Side, so uh, that's deep, deep in my gene pool. But now you're hunkered down. You're going to be there. In the, well, we're going to be here state. until it's until uh, work starts uh, opening up in the Broadway world, or I get called for gigs as a bass player, and then we'll uh, shoot down. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen for a while. So uh, we're having, uh, you know, we, we are hunkered down here and are enjoying it. It seems to me, having kind of looked at your your life and your career, that you've had a charmed life. Things seem to just happen for you. You didn't intend to be an actor, but you became an actor, though you don't call yourself an actor necessarily. You seem, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, to have been living your bliss. You go after what you enjoy, and things just happen okay for you. Is there any truth to that? Well, I like the way you think. Let's let's put it that way. <laughs> Uh, but is it true? I think, I think most musicians that I know, our love is playing music, and our love is playing music with fellow musicians. And uh, things from that point of view unfold in our lives, starting as kids into our young adult uh, life, uh, into our adult life. So I think it all kind of, for all musicians, it all, at its root, at its root is a love of playing music and a commitment to wanting to play and wanting to play as well as we can and wanting to play with other musicians. And the rest just seems to uh, fall into place for, for most musicians. That's a very interesting, I think, approach to a, maybe a philosophy of life. Do something you really deeply love, and things are going to fall into place in other parts of your life. Well, I, I can't address 
if for other people things fall in, into their life in, 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 yeah. in, in other areas. I think the mere fact of just being, uh, you know, uh, people and human beings, uh, we all have uh, our crosses to bear. My cross to bear is not much, is, is, no, is no less difficult than your cross to bear. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but the, the through line, I believe, is that as they talked about, as the expression they use with kids, go to your happy place. I think for most musicians I know, when we're playing music, that is our happy place. That I'm, doesn't mean there aren't other really very traumatic, powerful forces that we have to wrestle with daily. But when we're playing music, that's our happy place. Not a musician. What is it like when you get there? Is there any way of describing it? Or is it just a feeling of euphoria when it's working, when you're producing something beautiful? You know, I'm not a sailor, but uh, I, I've been on a, 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 a friend of mine's boat and I've heard them talking and uh, I used to ride a motorcycle for years. And so everybody has their version of motorcycle riding, uh, sailing, whatever their thing happens to be, being by the beach. Everybody knows what that feeling is is like so i think it's a, a a profoundly centered still feeling of um of of contentment when we are you know some people feel it when they're driving in their car there's a there's a sort of a, a stillness the, you know, everything else has sort of gone away and all they're doing is putting their right foot on the pedal and their two hands on the steering wheel and everything else is 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 pretty calm. I, as you were saying that, it reminds me of my love of this game I play called lawn bowling, which I found later in life. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I played, Never heard of it. How does played it in Central Park. Well, when, you, when you're in the city uh, at some summer in the future, I'll invite you out and I'll, I'll teach you the, the game of lawn bowling. But when... Is it like, is it a form of... Uh, bocce is it uh... it's, it's like bocce but not really it's kind of more like curling but on grass yeah but when and it's worked how, yeah, how, how many people do you need to do lawn bowling with one on one two on two three on three Perfect. four on four Perfect. yeah it's that, it's that kind of thing but when i'm in the groove when my body is doing stuff and my mind is not getting in the way and and the the bowl is doing what i want it to do yes there you go it's magic it's like well, I always say. It, it's like I could live forever. I mean, pe people feel it when they're co cooking. Everyone has has their own mm -hmm. uh, their own touchstone for those feelings. Yeah, yeah. Good. Thank you. I I gained something from this conversation already. I've heard you talk about your brother, and uh, you refer to him. I I just for some reason I was curious who is he and what does he do. Well, I, I, I'm curious as to where you've heard me talk about my brother. It just in passing, you did a podcast last year when you did the release uh, of your uh, re-release of your album, which I'd like to talk to later, uh, Stage Door Johnny. I'm trying to remember where else I saw it, but it was at least in two different places. Oh, gotcha. I think maybe you did a conference once and you referred maybe. to your brother. Well, my brother is a ridiculously talented songwriter. Did an album, it was the last album that the producer John Hammond produced. 
for CBS Records in the early 70s of songs he wrote him playing guitar. Nothing ever happened with it, but he continued writing songs and uh, he never really did anything uh, professional with them, but uh, his songs, there's a uh, summer camp in, in, in the Berkshires that I started going to when I was 12 years old and uh, stayed very, very connected with. And I taught for many years there, I would bring up songs that my brother wrote. And these songs are now taught to people's grandkids. And they are, they are deep in the folklore and they have spread out exponentially my brother's songs. And what is his name and, and where can we hear his music anywhere? His name is Arthur Miller, not the playwright, okay. but, is, but equally as talented. And uh, if you can find a copy of his album, which is called Hanging Out and Settling Down, Arthur Miller, I think it might be Arthur Miller and, the, and all the little Millers. What was in my heart The day we fell in love Did I mean to start A career to make a fool of myself And every time I have to laugh at myself Long time fooling everyone Short time fooling you. Clear I'm playing bass and uh, piping in vocally on a couple of tunes. Wow, is he is he your older brother, younger brother? Older brother, three years older. And he's still with us. Still with us. Great, great. Let's talk uh, a, a bit about you and your career. Clearly, a professional musician, but not a professional actor. You don't call yourself a professional actor, but you make, uh, a, I guess, a pretty good living doing acting. No? In, incorrect. Okay. My, my, uh, my acting experience consists of two experiences. First one was I was in a Broadway show called I Love My Wife. Right. I had known Cy Coleman for a number of years, having played bass with him on a number of his albums and doing lots of gigs. Mm -hmm. And around 1977, 76, I get a phone call from a, a casting director named Howard Fuhrer. Howard tells me that uh, Cy Coleman and Michael Stewart had written this play called, this musical called I Love My Wife, that just had four actors and four musicians in it. And the four musicians not only play, but they sing and quote, act and quote, dance would I be interested in auditioning for? Well, all freelance people who I know, when someone says, would you be interested in, they never have to finish the sentence. Right. We raise our hand, we say, count me in. So uh, I said, absolutely. I knew nothing about Broadway, and I certainly knew nothing about auditioning for Broadway. So my upstairs neighbor, a wonderful actor named Fred Coffin. I, I knock on Fred's door. I said, Fred, tell me everything I need to know about auditioning for a, a Broadway musical. He said, it's very simple. You walk in there, they'll ask you to sing something. They'll give you a, a, a 
couple of pages. They'll ask you to read something and they might see how well you move. I said, then, then what happens? I said, well, if they're interested in you, they'll call you back and they'll probably ask you to do the same thing. Then what happens? Well, if, if, if they like you, they'll call you and they'll offer you the job. Then what am I supposed to do? <laughs> well, you can certainly ask to see a, a copy of the script and, uh, and he, hear the score. I said, okay, great. So I go to, next day, I go to the Majestic Theater, huge stage, bare stage. And I walk out there and I can barely see all the way in the back, back row with the orchestra. There are a whole bunch of people sitting there. And they said, um, what ballad and uptune did you bring for the accompanist to play? I said, I have nothing. <laughs> they said, well, can you sing us something? Well, by pure coincidence, I had just picked up my uh, acoustic guitar that I had some work done on. And so I happened to have it with me. I said, could I sing a song that my brother wrote about Henry David Thoreau? They said, absolutely. By Arthur Miller. By Arthur Miller. Right. So I sing the song. As soon as I'm through, as soon as I'm through with the song, I hear from all the way in, in the back of the house, uh, Johnny, would you come out? We, we, we'd like to talk to you. Now, Fred hadn't told me that that might happen. <laughs> so I walk out there. And there are lots, lots of people there. And they say, look, we, we don't want to waste your time. You're, you're a busy guy. Uh, we'd like to offer you the role of Harvey, the, uh, the owner of the diner, the leader of the four-piece band. We'd like you to be the music director of the show. And you have uh, two great uh, solo songs to be singing. Well, I remember the words that Fred told me. So I say, uh, could I hear, could, 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 could I see the script? And now their heads kind of, kind of come together and there's a little murmuring. <laughs> and then the tone, slight change. Uh, yes, okay, we, we, we can get you that. And then I, then I remember the other words that Fred said. So I said, could I hear, uh, could, could I, um, read the uh, could, could could I could could I hear the score now the heads really get all close together <laughs> more heads get close together the the murmuring gets a lot louder and then I, uh, I I pick up that the tone has changed when they turn to me and they say thank you very much wow uh, okay so I'm walking home by the time I hit Gray's Papaya on 72nd Street, I, I realized that I made a real asshole out of myself. I offended people. I was rude. All based on that. I sort of didn't know what to do. And I just did what, what Fred had suggested that I do. So when I get home, I, I, I call Cy. I said, Cy, listen, whether I get the show or not, it's completely insignificant to me. What's not insignificant to me is that I uh, uh, was very disrespectful to you, especially to everybody else there. And uh, I, I apologize profusely. I sort of just didn't know what to do. Someone had told me things to say. And uh, I, I just made a fool out of myself and sigh and sighs. 
inimitable way said, no, you didn't make a fool out of yourself. You made a fucking fool out of yourself. Mm. Um, but he said, uh, but, 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 but let me see what I can do. The next day he calls me back. He says, uh, the, 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 the gig is yours. Mm. Uh, we, uh, the, the, the four of us in the band, when we won the drama desk award, I knocked on Fred's door again. I said, Fred, what the hell is a drama desk award? Uh, mm. Mm. and, uh, so, and the show ran for at least two years and that was my first professional acting experience and no one else ever called me to act again until um, I got called years later to audition for the TV show Mozart in the Jungle. Hey there, good times, here I am. Welcome back, your baby lamb. Open wide them golden doors and set my chair down next to yours. I've been freezing, sneezing out there where the bad times blow. An amazing story. Um, your 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 wife uh, Connie Barron is is a professional actor, actress, and, singer. Yes. Okay, and she's trained as an actor. Yes. You were trained as a bass player at University of Michigan, right? Correct. You weren't trained as an actor. And Correct. yet you won this Drama Desk Award. Correct. First fucking time out. Correct. I would imagine if I were an actor, I'd got to look at John and say, I'd say, John, man, I've been working and working and I can't get anywhere. And you just, you know, it just came to you like a golden goose. It was worse than that. Because uh, when I was offered the show, they're friends of mine who hadn't even been members of Equity yet. And they couldn't believe that uh, some bass player was all of a sudden a member of of Actors Equity. Mm. So, uh, you know, a lot of people said, how, how did this thing come? I said, you know, uh, clearly I was exactly what they were looking for. But you weren't only what they looked for. You had the right look and you had the right musical talent. But Correct. you, you, not everyone could do that, get on stage and present a character, whether that character is like you or not, with the lines, doing it night after night. And somehow they knew that you could do that. Look, it was a very, very particular, very specific role that I remember once asking... Michael Stewart, when we were doing the show, Breaking It In in Philadelphia, I said to Michael, out of really just pure curiosity, it, 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 it had nothing to do with, with my, 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 my ego whatsoever. I said, Michael, why did you guys hire me? Mm. And uh, mm. he, said, from the, he said, from the moment that you walked out on stage, before you said anything, he said, I turned to Cy Coleman and I said, if this guy can carry a tune, can read a line, he has the aura that, that Michael had in mind for that character. He wanted a short, balding guy with glasses, sort of a jazzy kind of quality, above it all, within it all, 
jazz, sage-like quality. And he said, when Miller walked out, he could have pissed in his pants and I would have hired him. Wow. So it was exactly, it just was the right, all the elements fit for what they had in mind for that role. The Mozart in the Jungle producers, when they auditioned you, had they known about this experience you had with uh, I Love My Wife? I got, a, I got a call from Doug Abel, who was the casting agent. I had known from, uh, from doing a number of shows, at, off-Broadway shows at his theater as, as a music contractor. And so Doug and I had, had, had known each other. And, and when he called, I remember very specifically what he said. He said, uh, I, I remember you years ago in I Love My Wife. He said, we've been auditioning fantastic actors for this role of the uh, drug dealer timpani player. And they're, they're all fantastic New York actors, but they don't have the ooh. They don't have the gestalt. They don't read like a New York cat that's been around for a while. Would you be interested in auditioning? So like I said, when anyone says, would you be interested in? I said, uh, sure. So uh, they, they, they sent me um, uh, the, some of the dialogue and uh, Connie was extremely helpful for me. And I went down there and just sort of, you know, did, did what I do. And uh, 12 hours later, they called. They said, uh, the job is yours. Can we speak to your agent? I said, I don't have an agent. <laughs> uh, so I called a uh, 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 friend of ours who is, is an agent. And uh, that's how organically that gig came about. Wow. My wife and I loved Mozart in the Jungle. We ate it up all four seasons, and when it was over, right. it was like it was one of the most creative things I'd ever seen, seen on television. And it kept getting more creative as the, the longer it went. Wonderful characters, Dee Dee, the character you played, the, the drug dealing drummer, temp tempianist, was exactly right. How much of Dee Dee is John Miller? First of all, w when I was playing in the '60s, and I, I was playing at the Fillmore Reese and the Fillmore West with lots lots of different people and, and you know deep deep in that deep in that drug rock world i was the only guy that wasn't even choking up at the time mm. and still and and i'm still that guy so when they talked about drugs and they talked about these specific names of these drugs i had absolutely no idea what they were and i would call up my then 16-year-old granddaughter, and I would say, um, Anya, what does, and I'd give these, you know, list of names that I was supposed to say, and she knew exactly what they were. She made a point about telling me, Grandpa, Grandpa, I don't do them. I, I promise you, I don't do them, <laughs> but here's exactly what they are. So I learned more about uh, uh, drugs from the role of Dee Dee and from my uh, 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 drug teacher, my 16-year-old granddaughter. My, my feeling about, about D.D. was that he was not a user, that it was a way for him to make a little money on the side, but in a sense, he was helping with all the nerves and stuff that goes on with being part of a, you know, a big symphony. You know, he wasn't this bad guy who was kind of putting people into dire straits. I agree. Yeah. 
He was. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he was like a friendly pharmacist that get you stuff you needed. The, the beautiful uh, oboe was she oboe player? No, the the, uh, the beautiful Lola. The, no, the the uh, um, the cellist. Cellist, right? Who had right. problems with her with her wrist, and you, you were helping her continue her career, and it was like very heartwarming, and and everyone seemed to be like connected. Talking about the connection between the cast, I know you and Joel uh, Bernstein are are friends. I don't know if you were friends before. Um, no. Do you? You weren't. Okay. Do you at all stay in touch with any of the ones that are there? I mean, I, I know sadly Mark Bloom or Blum died. He played Union Bob, yeah, who was in yeah. love with Lola, right? right. Um, which I thought was just the heartbreaking. I so identified with that character, Union Bob, who yes. so loved this woman and knew that he was like way out of her league. And the fact that he had one night with her was like, like, that's his dream. Do you guys stay in touch? I stay, uh, Connie and I stay in touch with Joel and his wife. Yes. Right. Right. Did, did you ever get to know, and I'm asking this maybe on the side, Debbie Monk? I know Debbie extremely well. Debbie is my former wife. What? Really? Correct. We are, we are connected by the hip there, John, because... When Debbie was studying at the uh, Southern Methodist University, I was her scene, scene partner. Oh, that's great. That's great. She played my mother, and I played Pierre Gint. Great. <laughs> on the stage of Southern Methodist University for Joan right. Potter, our, our teacher. She, right. she went on to make a, have a terrific career. I went on to become yeah, a university yeah. professor. And uh, I've not talked to her since then. But I remember our, she was your wife. Oh, my goodness. Wow. We definitely have to go out for a beer now and, uh, and, and, and reminisce further. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a bit about your um, career as a music contractor. Uh, I noticed on your website, I'm quoting from your website, saying, quote, the best thing about contracting is being able to hire deserving musicians. The worst, not being able to hire all the deserving, all the deserving musicians. Um, Very true. Yeah. What is a music contractor? What do you do? You know, I always say when when people go see a show, whether it's on Broadway or in Tomo, Iowa, they have some idea of how the actors got there on stage. They have some idea that they auditioned, some idea that maybe their agents, you know, there's a whole machinery where agent's job is to try to get their actors auditions and dancers come and audition and no one thinks nor should they how did those musicians get in that pit did they audition did they just did they come with the theater how does it work and do they particularly care i don't think they give it any thought nor do i think they should but the interesting issue for me is, how did they get there? We don't have auditions for that kind of work. We don't have agents whose job it is to try to hustle for us to get work. So what machinery do we have in place? What we have basically is our reputation, word of mouth, and it's no different than going to your local basketball court uh, which guys can get the ball in and which guys can't get the ball in. Everybody knows 
who are the guys who can get the ball in that no one particularly likes. Everyone knows who are the people who they like, but they can't get the ball in. Mm. Well, it's no different than our fellow musicians. All musicians know who's really good. All musicians know who is good and they enjoy having a beer with. They know who's really good. They don't enjoy having a beer with. And they know musicians who they love having a beer with, but might not be all that great players. This is universally known wherever, whatever city, whatever small town you you happen to be in. That's how those people are chosen. Who is, from my end, who seems to be the right person for that style of music, for the personality of the conductor and what people work well together. And they might be some musicians that are great players, but they work better with another player than with some other players. So it's a, it's a jigsaw puzzle because there are so many ridiculously talented players. So many deserving musicians. So many. Can you make a living in the pit of a Broadway show as a musician? You've done well. Look, any, any, any freelance work, there's very little security. Very little security for the actors, for the dancers, for the producers, for the director. We have no idea if that show is going to be a, a 10-year hit or if it's going to close after opening night. Is it a secure field? Absolutely not. But if you are really one of the best, a lot of people are going to want you to be involved on their team. So when one show closes, hopefully another show will come and usually the people who are the NBA star players will always be asked to be on a team. And the others? What happens to them? Challenging. Challenging. Yeah. They uh, hopefully, hopefully there will be enough teams. Hopefully there'll be enough shows. Hopefully there'll be enough work that everyone who wants to be doing this can work. Yeah. That's the goal. But we're now in a, uh, a period in which Broadway is no longer there. I mean, we don't have a Broadway. Correct. And we don't know what, what's going to happen. What, what are these, whether they're A-level or not A-level, what, what are they doing now? Well, if you go on Facebook, you get some idea of what they're doing. They're all worried, and rightly so. These are very difficult, difficult, difficult times. No one knows when the Broadway shows will open. Everyone has their own guess about when they will, but we're all waiting for the facts to find out when they will. So in in the interim, some of the specifics that people are doing, they're certainly trying to get unemployment. Some of them, their partners do have steady jobs that they can work at home. And it's uh, a lot of them are playing music and they're playing music together online. The ones that are are having a, a, a emotional issues with this, we don't hear too much about that. 
Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure that there are musicians that are really not only, you know, they're really worried about how are they going to pay their rent? How are they going to get, you know, food on the table? It, these are tough, tough, challenging times. And musicians have never had to deal with this, certainly in our lifetime. Where is Broadway going to be when we come out of this? Because there's going to be a lot of shows that started when this when this started. Are they going to open? Probably not. There are smart. There are smarter people than I who 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 can answer that question. There's certainly a lot of articles, everyone giving views about this. Uh, well, what's your view? What is your feeling? Well, been on Broadway is, so long. My view is that eventually, but no one knows what eventually means. My view is eventually things will return to what they once were. But no one knows if that eventually is six months or two years. I want to end on, a, on, a, on an upbeat note and talk about your 2008 re-released 2019 album, Stage Door Johnny, which I have been listening to, John. And I'm, I'm kind of sitting here just bopping and beeping and clicking and it's it's a beautiful piece of work and it's it's, it sounded like it was there was so many elements that are in it and it's so stylized from one song to the other anyone who listens to this podcast go go on spotify or wherever you find it stage door johnny produced and i'm assume you play in it uh by john miller if uh we were to play something at the end of this podcast which of the list of songs on that album should we play right now that would tell us about our times and maybe bring us up, bring us out of our moment? My first response was going to be, uh, you know, everyone has a different response to it. So I would say to you, what tune for you captures that feeling? Uh, the other thing I would say is that I've been very interested in this particular period that we're in now about uh, how musicians, certainly musicians, can connect to the stillness that this brings about. And in the world of stillness, there's certainly a wonderful lyric with uh, Wouldn't It Be Loverly, mm -hmm. which is all about all I want is a room somewhere uh, far away from the cold night air with one enormous chair. Wouldn't that be lovely? So that certainly addresses the world of, of, uh, of calm and stillness and connecting with those still uh, feelings that all of us can connect to. But I would say whatever tune you dig the most, that's the one that I would play, the one that gives you the biggest buzz. I was looking at Hernando's Hideaway only because it's like it is about a hideaway, but we're with others. Right. Um, oh, that's good for you. That's good. I like that. Yeah. 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 John Miller, thank you so much for taking the time and hunkering down with us. I do want to say this. Yeah. I made a, 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 a commitment that I don't know how thrilled Connie is about it, mm -hmm. but I've made a commitment to let my beard grow as long as we are all quarantined. It's like twice as long as it ever used to be. There you go. I think so. Now it has the 
Hasidic rabbi look. Uh, Which you played I a think, rabbi in Mozart in the Jungle. Correct. You played a rabbi with with uh, with the beads with the uh, with the rosary. Correct. Correct. <laughs> I, now the, the the next level, I think, with the beard, depending on how long we're quarantined, will be the uh, bass player used to play with James Taylor, and then after that, it will be ZZ Top. If we're really here for uh, a long time. All right. Well, ho- hopefully next time I see you, your beard is going to be nicely shaven and we'll be, we'll be all, all through this. So thank you. You're welcome, uh, Thank Al. you. Stay safe, you and Connie. And, thank uh, you. Boy, you guys too. I w- want to buy you a beer at our favorite Upper West Side bar. I'll take you up on it. Great, great. All I want is a room somewhere Far away from the cold night air With one enormous chair Oh, wouldn't it be lovely Lots of joy You've been listening to the Hunker Down Podcast Conversations with actors and musicians about their lives on stage during a pandemic If you have any questions or suggestions please contact us at UpperWestSideRadio at gmail.com. That's one word, UpperWestSideRadio at gmail.com. <laughs>